Shalom, and welcome to Parasha Highlights and Insights. This is Rabbi Abraham Fisher, and this week's parasha is Shalach Lecha. Sometimes just shortened to Shalach. And uh, this is uh, a truly monumental uh, moment in the history of B'nai Israel uh, after the exodus from Egypt, uh, and that is the event that led to B'nai Israel remaining in the desert uh, for 40 years rather than entering the land uh, in the second year after the Exodus. Parasha is uh, divided up into well, two large sections, uh, but um, the second section is further subdivided. Uh, and we'll uh, see how that uh, works out. But the first part of the parasha uh, deals with sending uh, men to explore the land of Israel. Uh, colloquially, they're known as the Miraglim, the spies. Uh, but for the time being, I'm going to, re- to refer to them as scouts, as explorers. Uh, the, at the beginning of the parasha, Shem says to Moshe to send uh, 12 scouts, one from each uh, tribe, to explore the land of Israel and to bring back a report. And so Moshe gives them uh, his instructions. Um, We are given a list of the names of the 12 scouts, one from each uh, Shevet. And his uh, instructions to them is, explore the entire land, and bring back a report. Tell us what kind of people seem to live in the land. Tell us what kind of settlements. Give us an idea of the quality of the land. And also, bring back examples of the fruit of the land. Uh, This would seem to be in order to get a a better sense of what kind of a place uh, it is. And so the expedition leaves. Uh, They start in the Negev, in the south, uh, of the land of Israel. They actually enter from a wilderness called uh, Nachal Paran, uh, Midbar Paran, and they uh, begin the exploration of the land starting from the south, uh, going to the north. They go to a place called Nachal Eshkol, Eshkol being a grapevine uh, cluster, and uh, they, it's called that because they cut off a branch with a very large cluster of grapes on it to bring back as an example. They also bring back some other fruits, uh, pomegranates, figs. This also gives us a rough idea of the time of the year that this is. It says that uh, this, uh, when they begin their, their expedition, uh, it is the time of the um, first fruits of the grapes. Now, as they go from south to north and east to west, to get a sense of, uh, of the land, uh, they encounter some of the people there. In Hebron, which uh, they seem to, uh, to pass by, uh, they also encounter that there are giants uh, in, that, uh, in that area. Uh, and as I said, they bring back uh, a cluster of grapes, pomegranate, and fig. Uh, and they're there for a total of 40 days. And then they begin their report. And we can tell uh, that uh, the uh, the report uh, starts off uh, 
totally in accordance with what their mission was. Um, they say that indeed it is a land flowing with milk and honey, and here are examples of the fruits, uh, but they make a turn uh, when they say the Hebrew word ephes, which basically means however, ephes uh, also means zero, because the ephes, uh, the however, more or less negates everything that was set up until this point. It may be a, a fruitful place, but however. Uh, it's important to point out that not all ten of the scouts uh, take this tone. Only ten of them do. Um, their report is that the people that they encountered are fierce. There are giants there. Uh, there are uh, people from the dreaded nation of Amalek. There are also Canaanites there. And their conclusion was, we cannot possibly succeed. We cannot succeed in conquering these people. Uh, one of the two scouts, uh, Yehoshua, who is also uh, a trusted uh, student and assistant to Moshe, uh, he encourages the people and tells them that uh, Hashem has taken us this far. He certainly can take care of the inhabitants there. Uh, but nevertheless, the people cry and complain and uh, say, let us return to Egypt. Uh, the leaders try to prevent the catastrophe. Moshe and Aharon fall, to their, uh, fall on their faces uh, in or- because they are, uh, they're overwhelmed by how terrible this is. Uh, Yehoshua, once again, as well as Kalev, the other uh, scout who does not join in with the other ten, uh, they mourn and they say again and again, do not rebel against Hashem. Uh, the, uh, the implication is that Hashem is going to uh, punish them. The people, nevertheless, are unaffected. Um, they, uh, they talk about stoning Yehoshua and Kalev, and Hashem expresses his anger to, to Moshe and says that... Uh, I should destroy the people and essentially start all over again uh, with you, Moshe. Destroy all of them and then just begin uh, once again. Uh, and it's at this point that Moshe prays. And it's a prayer that Moshe uh, was taught by Hashem uh, at the earlier major sin that B'nai Israel committed, namely the sin of the golden calf. Uh, so he utters this prayer and... Uh, as a result of the of the prayer, begging for Hashem's forgiveness, Moshe's argument also that uh, Hashem should not destroy the people because of what will uh, what will the Egyptians say. So the prayer does have somewhat of an effect. Um, there will be no destruction of the people at this time. However, uh, this uh, this sin cannot go unpunished. It's different from the sin of the golden calf. Uh, things were uh, things were newer, uh, but now, after everything that they have gone through, uh, it's uh, clearly inappropriate for this generation to go into the land of Israel. And therefore, it is Hashem's decree that those who uh, left the land of Egypt, specifically those who are the age of twenty and above, uh, will not enter the land of Israel. Uh, everyone uh, from the age of 20 and above uh, will die out in the desert. They will remain in the desert 
so for enough time so that they will be there a total of 40 years, one year for every day that the uh, scouts explored the land. Um, the notable exception uh, will be Yehoshua and Kalev, even though they are clearly older. Um, at the time, they were older at the time of the, uh, of the Exodus, but because uh, of their steadfastness and uh, in supporting Hashem, uh, they will enter the land of, uh, of Israel. And now Hashem says to Moshe, instruct the people to turn around uh, and go back into the wilderness because they're going to be in the wilderness for a total of 40 years. Uh, the ten scouts themselves, who do not stop uh, spreading uh, their their evil report, uh, these ten scouts are struck down in a plague. Uh, the uh, people uh, seem to get the message, at least to an extent, uh, that they have uh, they've overstepped their boundaries. They should not have uh, behaved this way, and they try to make the argument: uh, we've learned our lesson. Uh, we're um, we're, uh, we don't want to be kept in the desert. We want to go into the land now. Uh, we will ascend. Uh, we admit that we have sinned. But by this point, the decree has already been made. And Boshe says to them, Hashem is not with you. Uh, and therefore, do not go into the land. Nevertheless, uh, some of them, they're known as the Mahpilim, the, uh, the defiant ones, uh, try to enter the land. Uh, but the nations of Amalek and Canaan drive them back. And uh, that brings to an end the first section of the parasha, in which we have the sin uh, where the people cried and uh, listened to the, uh, the report of the, uh, of the scouts, the disheartening report of the scouts, rather than listening to the report of the scouts from Yehoshua and Kalev and the encouraging words from them, this is, uh, this is the reason why it was decreed upon them that they would stay in the desert. Uh, I should point out that, that uh, we said earlier, the uh, time when this took place uh, was, or when they began their exploration, was the beginning of the grape uh, harvest, the uh, first, uh, first fruits of the grapes, uh, and they returned 40 days later. Uh, based on that, uh, based on the fact that they cried at night, uh, our rabbis uh, tell us that the night that B'nai Israel cried unnecessarily uh, was the night of Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av. And uh, just it was, as it was decreed upon them to be punished uh, on that day, on that night and that day, uh, so do we uh, experience uh, grief on that day throughout, uh, throughout our history. Now the second part of the parasha, um, is uh, four smaller sections. Uh, many of the uh, it, many of the topics that we have in the second part of the parasha are kind of an offset to uh, what we have in the uh, beginning of the parasha, in which the people uh, were punished uh, in that they're not going to enter the land of Israel. Uh, right after uh, the uh, it's, right after it is uh, said that uh, the defiant ones were pushed back, we are presented with uh, some mitzvot, and one of the themes that runs through many of these mitzvot is that these mitzvot will only take effect in the land of Israel. Uh, these are mitzvot uh, including grain offerings, 
uh, and libations, uh, and uh, the mitzvah of challah, which is not mentioned anywhere else. Uh, challah, uh, namely, that when one uh, bakes dough, primarily for bread, although it might theoretically be for other things, but let's say bread, um, when one bakes a certain uh, quantity, then uh, a portion of that is taken off and given to the Kohanim. And this mitzvah, the Torah says, uh, takes place when they enter the land. Uh, so it's very much connected to the land of, of Israel. Um, and by reading between the lines, we understand that these mitzvot are being given here, placed here, repeated here, uh, as a message that even though this generation will not enter the land, uh, Hashem assures them that the nation, as a nation, will enter the land, and their children will, and that is some consolation for them. Uh, we are also taught about uh, certain types of chatat offerings, sin offerings, that are brought in order to bring atonement. Uh, one is a type of a chatat that's brought by someone who commits idolatry through ignorance without being aware uh, that it is uh, prohibited. But we're reminded that a sin that's committed knowingly uh, is punished. Uh, sacrifice uh, is not brought for something that, for a sin that was done uh, knowingly. Then we have an incident, um, a separate incident, the, the incident of the wood gatherer, someone who violated uh, the rules of Shabbat by gathering wood uh, on Shabbat. It's not entirely clear when this happened. There's some discussion. It says that it was in the wilderness um, uh, when they found uh, a man who was collecting sticks on Shabbat and uh, the witnesses brought him to Moshe. He's placed in jail and uh, Hashem instructs that this person is to be uh, executed by stoning. And then at the very end of the parasha, uh, we have uh, another mitzvah that reminds us of our constant connection to Hashem, uh, which is also uh, helpful, especially after the, uh, the decree uh, that B'nai Israel are going to be in the desert for 40 years. And that's the mitzvah of tzitzit, uh, that when you have a uh, garment with four corners, that you place a, uh, a tzitzit, call it a fringe, call it a tassel, uh, on the four corners of the garment, and uh, each one of those uh, should have a blue thread. And this, says the Torah, reminds us of all of the mitzvot, and Hashem concludes by saying, I am Hashem who took you out of the land of Egypt. Remember, I took you out of Egypt, uh, I brought you this far, the purpose of, uh, of all of this is being realized. Uh, and again, between the lines, we can feel a sense of Consolation that even though this generation will not enter the land, uh, their uh, their children certainly will. I want to go back to the beginning of the parasha, in which the instructions are given by Hashem to Moshe uh, to send the people. Now I made the point of saying that people usually refer to the uh, the scouts as meraglim, which is the word for spies, um, and yet throughout the parasha they're never called by the word meraglim. Um, they're called anashim, men, which means men of, uh, of importance, men of prominence. Um, and they're also called tarim, uh, scouts or explorers. Uh, in the beginning of the parasha, Hashem tells Moshe, send men that they will 
scout out the land, Yaturu, the land of, of Canaan that I'm giving to them, one man per tribe uh, shall you send, and everyone has to be a chieftain, has to be a prominent person. In, uh, in the commentary of the Malbim uh, on the Torah, he makes uh, a very uh, forceful argument for why it's not appropriate to call them uh, Maraglim, uh, certainly not in terms of the mission that they were sent on. He says that there are two different words for spy in Hebrew. Uh, one is uh, tar, and the other is meragel. And, as I say, throughout this parasha, these twelve are referred to, uh, or when they're sent on their mission, uh, they're called tar. Now, what's the difference between them? So the Malbim says, I've explained earlier, that uh, when uh, a group of people uh, want to settle a certain place, so they send out people, uh, explorers, to inspect whether the land is good or bad, to see what are the qualities of the land, is it a good place. So these are scouts, surveyors. Uh, they're doing what we call, a, in a sense, a pilot trip. That's one kind. The other uh, kind of uh, spy that is sent is what we're more familiar with as a spy in terms of espionage. After the explorers have returned and uh, have said uh, that this is a good place for us to take possession of, well, the problem is... Uh, we need to embark on a military campaign. And so now we need to send uh, those who will uh, scout out the land and see uh, how to attack it, uh, how, to, uh, how to conquer it. So those kind of people uh, they send in order to see the, the weak spots of the land, the, the place where it is uh, possible to, uh, to attack, uh, to enter, uh, looking for the weak spots. So the first kind, the scout, is called a tar. The second is called a maragel, a spy. And uh, the Malbim's point is that a scout is actually looking for the qualities of a place, uh, whereas a maragel is specifically looking for the weak spots uh, to be exploited. Uh, a tar is not primarily um, military. Uh, a Maragel is military. That's uh, an es- that is espionage. A tar is there uh, to get a sense of what the, the land uh, looks like. And uh, the Mar- Malbim goes on to say that there are some significant differences in their missions. Uh, while, while scouts will be sent by the whole nation because it concerns the whole nation. The whole nation wants to know, uh, wants to receive the report about what kind of a place it is. When it comes to spies, that's not sent by the nation. Spies are sent by the uh, ministry of the army, sent by generals, uh, because they're the only ones who are really concerned with how to attack. Uh, and not only uh, not only that, but the generals will do their most to uh, prevent leaks of, uh, of information. Uh, they don't want other people to know what the findings of the... Um, what the spies are. Uh, these are... Uh, these uh, secrets are well guarded uh, among the general, generals. So that's one difference. Um, another difference is that if uh, tribes send out scouts, uh, then each tribe is going to send a representative of his tribe, uh, and no one tribe relies on the representative of another because each tribe has its own individual need. A territory that's good for one tribe is not good for another tribe. So, for example, Ruvain and Gad are tribes uh, that have a great deal of uh, livestock, so they're looking for a place with grazing land. 
On the other hand, Zivulun, which is destined to uh, be a merchant, uh, needs to live near the near the sea on the on the shore. Uh, that's when you're dealing with scouts, where each tribe or each group, subgroup, let's say, uh, has its own individual needs. When it comes to sending spies uh, for military purpose, uh, the only thing that's important is to see the nakedness of the land, the weak spots, uh, where it's possible to attack. So that's not sent as a representative from each tribe, but rather uh, the uh, minister of the army, uh, the general, will send uh, maybe one spy on behalf of everybody, maybe two spies, but, uh, but no more than that. The third difference um, is when they send scouts, uh, the people that they send are prominent people, people who are noticeable, uh, people who are concerned with uh, and aware of the needs of, uh, of the particular tribe so that the people of the tribe can rely on the information that's, uh, that he brings back. When it comes to spy, you don't want to send a prominent person. You want somebody who's nondescript, somebody who blends in, somebody that won't be noticed. Um, so an example of that, that kind of spy, we see in the beginning of the book of Yehoshua, uh, where Yehoshua sends two spies uh, uh, on their mission to inspect the nakedness of the land to see where's it, where it's possible to attack. Um, that's whom Yehoshua uh, sends. He, He's the one who sends them, not all of the people. And he sends them in secret uh, because it concerns the ministry of the army uh, alone. And once again, he sends only two men, two nondescript men, certainly men whose, uh, whose name is not given uh, because it's really not important what their names are. Uh, but when it comes to the scouts in our parasha, uh, each one of them is a kind of a representative of the, uh, of the tribe. I highly recommend reading all of the Malbim, but let me just summarize a few of the other ideas that, uh, that he has there. Uh, he compares the way that the story of the Meraglim is, is told uh, here and the way it's told uh, again in the book of Devarim. And when we compare the two, says the Malbim, we see that the people originally wanted Meraglim. They wanted spies for a military purpose. Um, and when Moshe presented this idea to Hashem, uh, Moshe thought it was a good idea because it was his uh, thought that the, uh, the conquest of the land is going to proceed in as natural a fashion as possible uh, because B'nai Israel have to get used to uh, a life of nature, uh, a life in which God is present but only uh, hidden behind uh, nature. And therefore Moshe thought that this was appropriate. Um, when we read the beginning of our parasha where Hashem says to send men and it talks about scouts we understand, says the Malbim by comparing our parasha with the way it's told in uh, Devarim we understand that Hashem is correcting the people and Moshe saying you're not to send Meraglim because this um, this conquest of the land will not be entirely natural. There will still be some miraculous uh, elements to it. But if you have an interest in getting a sense of what kind of a place it is, uh, that, I, uh, that I allow, that I will uh, permit. So, and and when, the, uh, when the scouts come back, uh, they more or less betray their, uh, their mission. They were sent to be scouts, but they come back 
pointing out the negative. In other words, they are sent as tarim, but they return as meraglim. It's uh, it's a very important uh, parasha to see uh, and to learn from uh, how not to uh, repeat the mistakes of the past. I thank you very much for joining me in this exploration of Parashat Shalach Lecha. This has been Rabbi Avraham Fisher for Parashat Highlights and Insights saying Shalom.